Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy folks, thanks for being here and welcome to episode number 73 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I am here as always to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out on the trails, keep you stoked and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved, getting you off those sofas and onto the saddles, getting you out in nature, getting you out with mates on the weekends, whatever day you may do it, just get out there and pedal and have a bit of fun. That's what the podcast's all about, so thanks for being here. And thanks for sharing the podcast on your social media accounts as well. If you want to do that, I am pleased that you do that. That is the best way to get the podcast out to other people. So just take a screenshot and share it on your social platforms. That is absolutely awesome. And if you're listening via iTunes, thank you to all the guys that are reviewing the show and putting up ratings and stuff there. I really do appreciate that. That is great and that is a lot of help. And if you want to get a wee bit more involved with the podcast, you can find us on socials. We are on Instagram and Facebook, both at MTB Tribe. You can get in contact there, follow what we're up to. And um, it's a good wee community there, and I really enjoy interacting with you guys on that. Uh, That's awesome. You can also go to the show, mtb-tribe.com, get some more info there, get all the back episodes there. You can listen directly from the website. You can download to whatever device you're using, or um, you can go onto iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, um, Spotify, we're, we're all there, you, you'll find us easy, so thanks so much again. Now on to today's episode, we're chatting with Jasper Day Seymour. Now Jasper is a photographer, a filmographer, and um, he's such a cool guy, he's really, really good fun, I really enjoyed chatting to him. He's from Tasmania, just off the coast of Australia, just down below Melbourne, and um, he's got such a great sense of humour, he really, really is a cool, fun guy. And you know what? He's so passionate about what he does. He's worked with YT. He's worked with Flow MTB. And um, the, the reason why he's really on the podcast, to be honest, back in episode number 38, I'd done um, a show with Tom Redfern from Broken Riders. And we were chatting. And he was doing a photo shoot at that time with Jasper. Um, and um, he just said that Jasper would be great to get on the show. It's taken a wee while, but we've got there. He's Jasper's just a super busy guy. But we've got there and we chat to Jasper about how the scene has grown over the last few years in Tasmania. And to be honest, after watching some of Jasper's films on his local areas and stuff there... The trails just look amazing. The networks look amazing. Um, the climate looks amazing. The terrain looks amazing. I must say, it's it's getting on my bucket list, this, because Tasmania just looks so good. So we chat to him about that. We chat to him about how the whole scene there has evolved over the last few years, um, and it's bringing more people into the area, how the local councils are getting involved and in helping build these trails and create these networks. Um, it's a really, really cool happening scene. And, you know, if you, you actually watch Jasper's videos, um, he does capture that. He captures the excitement. He captures the passion of, of the guys involved in the scene there. Um it's just really interesting. I just love it when things like that start to click and come together. It's really, really cool. So we chat about that. We chat about some of the projects he's worked on. He's worked with YT. Um, as I say, he's worked with Flow MTB and stuff. And you may not be familiar with Flow MTB, but they're a big, big deal in Australia. And we chat a wee bit about that. We chat about 
how social media helps as well as hinders the whole industry and, and stuff like that. Um, so I really enjoyed my chat with Jasper. He's a super funny guy. He has a really good sense of humor. Um, and he's just super passionate about his work. So put your feet up. Find out what the Tasmania mountain bike scene is like and have a laugh with Jasper. So without further ado, let me welcome Jasper to the MTB Tribe podcast. Hi Jasper, welcome to the MTB Tribe podcast. How are you this morning, sir? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Uh, I'm doing pretty good, pretty warm. How, how about you? You good? Yeah, yeah, good. Can't complain. Well, it's it's 10 p.m. where I'm at and it's oh. 8 a.m. where you're at. Uh, yeah it's um it's pre- it's pretty early we're already hitting about 25 degrees got some some warm weather on the way what's what's the weather like over there well i'm actually in malta at the minute um oh. and you would think being in the mediterranean it's nice but it's actually raining and we're due a hurricane tomorrow <laughs> ah that sounds rather unpleasant probably not great riding weather i would think <laughs> no definitely not no Jasper, you're in Tasmania, Australia. Yep, yep, a long way down. The place that most people just consider as Tanzania and also part of Africa. But no, in <laughs> fact, we are an island on our own and we're still part of Australia. Yeah. So, yep. That's is that just down below is it Melbourne that lies below? Yeah, just just like a, a teardrop off the edge of Melbourne. Um, just over over Bass Strait. Um yeah, beautiful, beautiful island. A lot of outdoors, sort of related living and, and industry. Um, that's why I live here because it's rad. Yeah, yeah. Um, are you originally from Tasmania? Are you? Uh, no, thank goodness. Well, don't tell the Tasmanians that I said thank goodness. <laughs> I'm originally from Perth in Western Australia. That's where I was born, but I can't remember a lot because I was shipped over when I was about three. Um, probably for stealing a packet of minties or something like that from the shop. But, uh, but yeah, so I've been here since I was three and pretty much grown up here. Always wanted to leave here because I felt like, you know, like uh, being on an island, even though it's a rather large island, you're kind of disadvantaged and you kind of had to leave to do well. But thankfully, things have changed in the last few years. So I decided to stay, which I think was a, was a good choice. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, I've I've been watching some of your video and stuff like that, and some of it looks amazing. That the riding there looks really, really good. Um, and we'll get we'll get into that. But um, so you run your own company called uh, Jasper. What what is it called? Just tell us the name of your photography company. That's uh, very original. Uh, I've gone ahead and ahead of the curve and uh, decided to use my surname, uh, which is. Dar Seymour. So my, my company uh, is J De Seymour Photomedia. Um, not to be mistaken for J Seymour or J Dar or Seamus. I've had so many pronunciations. <laughs> in fact, I could give you a list. Every day I get a new one, which is, you know, it keeps me on my toes and I get to sign for things with various names. But uh, it is De Seymour Photomedia. Um, and yeah, basically specialise in photo and video, originated in photo. Um, for the past sort of eight years and uh, sort of trickled over to video production the last two years because it was kind of the way to evolve or disappear, really. Mm. Um, and and also more because of mountain biking uh, really is what started me on video, which has helped me in every aspect uh, of my business. So, um, yeah. yeah, very new to the video side of things, but... Um, has been uh, a much more, uh, I guess, uh, 
yeah, uh, invested area for me and, and has proved so with the, the new jobs and, and people that I've worked with over the last couple of years. Yeah, cool, man. Cool. Um, we'll touch on that a wee bit later, but I want to ask a wee bit about you first in mountain biking because you're obviously a keen mountain biker. So when did you start? Um, well, I've always been keen on bikes. Um, I've always sort of, uh, you know, ridden and fallen off and, uh, you know, I've got the coordination of a potato in skis, um, but <laughs> thankfully, I don't know, sort of probably about three or four years ago, my friend who's a super pumped avid mountain biker, um, he'd asked me to go for rides and I just wouldn't want to because I didn't like the whole wheezing thing and having to go up somewhere just so you could get that <laughs> short fun bit of going down. I didn't think it was worth the investment of time and or effort. Um, and so he dragged me along for these rides and let me use his spare bike, which was a Yeti SB66 in 2011, I think. And he let me use that bike all the time, which was sick. Um, and I still used to hate it. I used to hate how, how bad I was and how frustrating it was to just never be able to keep up with him. Um, you know, and I, I was like, it wasn't like I was young when I started. Like I wasn't one of those kids that was good at riding bikes. I still don't think I'm particularly good at riding bikes. But I, he kind of put up with me moaning and complaining and wheezing behind him um, for the better part of, uh, yeah, those those couple of years. And, and he really is the reason that I ride bikes um, because he persisted and I just didn't want to go for a ride. <laughs> um, and so I, I re-found this sort of uh, love for mountain biking. Well, as I said, I've always been interested, but he just kind of gave me that, that extra push and um, kept nagging at me and uh, – put up with my wheezing carcass long enough for me to actually find out something clicked and I realised why people actually enjoy riding bikes. <laughs> many, uh, many stitches and broken toes and uh, really poor kit. Um, later, I realised that there was something more to it than just the crap part, which was uh, the, the heavy breathing uphills. Yeah, yeah. So what do you love about it now? What's kept you going? Um, yeah, I guess for me, it's, um, the, one of the biggest parts is the mateship, um, and the kind of blokes you hang out with, which make it just a a positive environment and you don't have to be good because I'm a testament to that. You can be a total cucumber and still make friends on a bike, um, which is, which is awesome. You know, it divides languages and, and backgrounds and you can just have have a laugh and enjoy the moment and push yourselves or don't push yourselves depending on who you're hanging out with um and and i guess the real hook was just just spending time with more and more uh you know passionate um and invested riders and, and characters because as a person you know a lot of a lot of the mountain biking community um that i've come across through through different areas just seem to just generally be true people um and for me that sort of just kept drawing me back to it and just working with those people through various video and photo projects is uh, you know i became obsessed and i still am obsessed um and it's just addictive and it rubs off on you being around such passionate people um because you just can't help it because they're stoked and you're stoked and then the stokeometer just breaks and then you're just having a great time and you know (laughs) it's a party (laughs) yeah very very well said and i think it's like that for so many people really it's just uh, getting out there with friends and having a bit of a social get together but also having a wee bit of fitness there as well you know and scaring yourself is a big part of it yeah definitely (laughs) 
Um, so <laughs> in Tasmania, there, what's the scene like there? Um, well, up until the last sort of, um, well, probably when I started, there wasn't even the first year, which is yeah, three or four years ago, um, the scene wasn't really a scene. Like people rode bikes and there's trails and it sort of trickled and it felt like it was at a plateau for years, you know, trails were erected and bits and pieces started popping up. But um, I guess around the time I started was just as the Blue Derby Network in northeast Tasmania was created and and that was kind of like gave me the I guess confidence to tackle stuff that was a little bit more fun which gave me an incentive to try and pursue it whereas in the past I've always been so intimidated with mountain biking and to some points I still am but um, for me it gave me a, a start with the some of the sort of flow trails that they have um, and just gives me yeah just started to help me build confidence up so I could tackle harder stuff and so yeah, the scene now, three years on, you just wouldn't believe it is where it's at. Um, mm. It's insane the growth that we've had. I mean, I'm lucky, well, lucky I've, I've wanted to be um, a part of that growth and be at the forefront um, with my photo and video work to promote Tasmania as a destination. Um, you know, starting, to, I, I feel, I mean, I've been to Rotorua in New Zealand, um, so I'm obviously an avid, you know, um, advocate for how things are incredible. So I know things, obviously. Um, <laughs> after I've been to Rotorua and seeing sort of what they have set up there and the infrastructure and, and how it works, I feel like Tassie as a destination and as a pretty big island, people just think it's just a just to sneeze on the edge of a piece of glass, but it's actually quite a large place. And so to have the trails starting to evolve that we have with Medina Bike Park um, in the in the southwest of Tassie, um, it's just this, the scene is so in so huge now. Like, I can't believe the growth that we've had in the in the yeah sort of three years since the Blue Derby started, um, and all councils are petitioning for trails. Like I'm lucky wow. enough to have worked with a lot of councils now um in that growth period and continue to do so just little little contracts here and there and, and you can you know you can clearly you can clearly mark it on a graph from the things that have taken place but i guess it's also the way that they've portrayed and shown that you know it, it you can be a plonker like me and ride these trails and have a laugh and and i think at the end of the day it's removing that uh, sort of intimidating factor of of gnar and crazy because there's always going to mm -hmm. be that um but thankfully i've come to terms with as i said that i am a potato on skis so it's fine i can still get out there and enjoy it and it's broken down those barriers so and in tassie it's definitely like that we've just got such a diverse range of you know real chilled out vegetable riders all the way up to you you know high-end pros coming down mm -hmm. to tasmania now, which is crazy because two years ago these pros wouldn't have considered coming down here unless they were forced to by their sponsors. <laughs> yeah. So Tassie has just, just gone off its head. So I'm pretty stoked to be yeah, literally kind of in the midst of all of this craziness happening and more and more trails every month and uh, are being established, which is, yeah. So that's in, in a nutshell, I should have condensed that. Uh, <laughs> did waffling there. That's what it is now. No, it sounds amazing. And the scene, you know, from your video and stuff, I think you really pick that up in your video. The scene does seem very young almost. There's loads of energy and, um, you know, it just comes across so well. 
yeah, there's a lot of passion, a lot of young riders, and it's so sick. Even though, you know, as I say, I didn't start as a young rider, but it's awesome to see a bunch of young guys, <laughs> basically young riders working really hard, um, some of them humble, some of them not so humble, um, but that's helping the scene as a whole um, and perpetuate. And, like, I started working with another uh, brand who was importing stuff um, uh, anyway, good gear, rock day gear, and MTB Sport, his name is. And so he's he was working, you know, getting stuff out in Tassie, like oh, I suppose it was a year and a half ago, two years ago. And so I helped him out shooting some gear naturally. And um, <laughs> it was awesome. I loved it when you have sort of gear that no one else has and people like it, but they don't have it. I really like that. I kind of really don't like following trends. I kind mm. of like to be involved with something until it's too big. And then I'm like, uh, now everyone has it. I don't like it. And, and now everyone. So many people, or every second kid I see, or every every adult that's like embracing the enduro, um, <laughs> really has like the rock day kit, and, and I just can't believe how far it's spread. And now I don't feel so special anymore. So I'm just wearing my uh, my um, Salvation Army sort of store uh, Armani t-shirt and my. Um, my, my whatever branded shorts I can find that are clean, um, just so I can not not fit in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's exciting time there for you, and it's awesome that the councils and stuff like that are getting involved. That plays a major, major part in getting new trails and stoking new interest and everything yeah. else. It just shows the acceptance, like it's crossing boundaries of people who weren't even mountain bikers, kind of like myself, you know, these guys in council who are, you know, 40 plus, 50 plus, 60 plus, probably not that interested um, in bikes all that much, but they're being affected by the hype and it's clear and, and you know, they're putting dollars into it. You know, we've just had, it's just started actually the trail system that's basically connecting Derby to the east coast of Tasmania in St. Helens. And that's off, off the top of my head millions and millions of dollars uh been sunk into this particular tender um which i'll be documenting a lot of hopefully in the next couple of years um which is just insane so you can literally get out to derby um you know and you can connect all the way from derby to the east coast which is i think it's going to be another over 80 kilometers worth of trail and to wow. put it into perspective it took um the world trail um, trail building company to build the the 80 k's of plus trail in derby about three years really i think 80 mm. 80 k's roughly um so you know you look at that that's that's another three years of trail builders in tasmania three years of stoke um good times bits being slowly opened perhaps um but the completion is set for i would think i don't know they say one or two years but realistically Building trail takes time if you want it to be good and sustainable, yeah. and that's what World Trail does. They make sustainable trail, um, and it's it's a whole lot of whole lot of laughs. Yeah. So, how does your trails work there? Are they trail centres? Do you have to pay to use them, or can you just roll up and, and go? Yeah. So, for the most part, everything is um, sort of directed towards really bringing people into the state, and that's where the dollars come in. So. Um, 
pretty much you don't have to pay anything. It's, uh, you know, you come down, the idea is to come down, come down with your family, your friends, uh, you know, hire a camper or whatever. It's so easy to camp and stay in uh, a lot of places in Australia, especially in Tasmania. So you can easily get yourself set up at a campsite, bring a tent, bring a barbecue, throw whatever you want on it. Um, and, and you're not looking at paying money for camping for the most part, um, which wow. is a huge advantage. So, and, and the trail systems in Blue Derby, and now with the new additions, I don't know if you've seen any of it, but the new additions in Derby, there's a, a whole new lake circuit, a bridge that's been um, <laughs> being built, a pump track, which is worth over $200,000 that's been created um, with a whole new jump line, new downhill tracks. You wouldn't even think that we have the gravity there because elevation isn't that high. But it's pretty sick to see what they've been able to create um, in such a small area. And there's still a lot of camping, and most of it's free. So you can rock up to Derby. You get the lake to swim in. You can hit the pump track. You can ride onto the trails. Geez, am I selling a brochure here? What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> Just listen to myself. Yeah. Um, but it's it's pretty sick. So the the setup for it is yeah you really don't need to bring dollars apart from the you know pay for your food, pay for your camping. I mean sorry, um like pay to set up your camping. You know mm-hmm. hire a tent, hire a camper van. I just got a van, mattress in the back, bike in the back, park it up. Want to get tired, get some pizza at the hub, which is just you know there's like two places to eat in Derby. It's a real mountain biking town. It's like awesome. just all set up for that, but you don't have to pay for the trails. Um, and a lot of the councils will, you know, council network of trails, it's all just roll up and they hope, you know, that you go into the local town and buy some food and go to the river and just kind of embrace that. And I think it's worked to our advantage because the influx in visitors to the state, specifically for mountain biking, um, is crazy. And then you've got places like Medina Bike Park down the other end where you do pay to play, but it's totally worth it. It's got 820 metres of vert. Um, and then once you get up the top, you've got a plethora of trails to choose from, from like, you know, a wilderness trail that's more family orientated and um, sort of beginner to your more extreme uh, li- literal vertical trails because, you know, it's gravity park. So instead of going, hey, let's make this as long and, and fun as possible, let's make this as steep and um, and pant browning as possible. So let's just sink <laughs> straight down here. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's a huge contrast, but it's totally worth having, you know, that gravity side because we've never had anything like that. And I quite honestly think it's probably the best, uh, gravity based mountain bike park in Australia, which is pretty wow. huge and it's only growing and its reputation's growing and it scares me, but I also like it. <laughs> yeah. And that's the one you've done the video about, is it? Yes, yeah, so I've, I've done a lot of um, stuff for both Blue Derby and, and um, Medina Bike Park, but I've done, yeah, a lot of stuff in the evolving times for Medina Bike Park. Pretty much this time last year, I was shooting a few videos to promote the park, just get people hyped, um, and then shooting some stuff on Australia Day Long Weekend, which is coming up this weekend, and that was the opening of the park, so it's almost its anniversary. Mm. Um, and it's, uh, it's, oh, it's real bad at the moment. There's a lot of fires down um in the wilderness areas and uh, just wild weather. And so the park's under threat. Should be all right. I hope the homes of the people in the surrounding areas are okay because our mm. fires are just off their heads. So, um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where my train of thought just crashed to. But well, um, let me let me talk to you about this. Um, you sent me a message a while ago on Instagram, and it was you lying in a hospital bed, and. I was almost sure you had burnt 
your legs completely, that image. And I was like, oh, no, my God, what has happened? So you had a knee injury. That was the deal, was it? Yeah, no, microwave didn't explode. It was um, <laughs> it was the knee injury. Um, yeah, it was nothing too crazy. But basically, long story short, I haven't had an ACL for about five years, which is a oh. cruciate ligament, which keeps your knee from, you know, slopping around, keeps your femur connected. So you're yeah. not walking around with a sloppy sausage. And I was. Um, and it got yeah, so it prevents sloppy. your knee kind of folding out or folding in that. Is that yeah, the way it works? Yeah, kind of hyper, okay. yeah, hyperextending and stuff. So mm-hmm. I finally got meat harvested from my other leg and they put it in that leg um. so that I can you know, continue to hopefully have a, a stable leg. So I've just been rehabbing it the past five weeks um, and getting there slowly. So, uh, yep, just a standard thing, but um, it's pretty frustrating and it's was stopping me from doing a lot of my work because a lot of the stuff I do is obviously on bikes and shooting on, you know, stupidly unawkward and even uneven, sorry, terrain, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, great for – giving way to, to poor knees without any um, ligaments. <laughs> was that bike, was that a bike-related injury? or? Oh, oh, embarrassingly enough, it was actually um, the first one that disappeared when I actually broke it five and a bit years ago. It was actually uh, due to social basketball. and um, Social yeah, basketball? Yeah, social basketball, meaning it was pretty chilled out. You had, you know, mixed teams. <laughs> and to top it off, I didn't even have the ball, so I was I was sidestepping like Kobe, like real fast. They didn't see it coming, obviously, and you know I just thought I'd throw a spanner in there and just snap my ACL, and that shocked the uh, the opposition into going, "Oh, what's going on here?" And uh, my team got possession of the ball. I didn't, but I snapped my ACL for the team. So, um, long story short, I'm a hero. Um, you know, I think we we still lost that game, but that's not the point. You know, I was I was just trying to help them out. <laughs> yeah, that's like one of those stories. You know, like a motocross rider or I don't know a stuntman or something that has never had a bad injury and then trips coming out of the shower. You know. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> I was just trying to do my thing for for my little mixed mixed basketball team, and uh, totally worth it. Totally worth it. Um, <laughs> And, oh, uh, but yeah, I end I end up getting a replacement, and again, long story short, it wasn't done properly. And at some point over those last five years, it dissolved like a Mentos in Coke, except what? with hopefully without the explosive reaction. Yeah, I don't know what happened, but um, I was just told after I had this scan because I didn't had a niggle on my knee, and um, yeah, they said, hey, did you uh, did you know, mate, that you uh, don't actually have an ACL? And I said, well. <laughs> No, I didn't. Um, but that explains a lot, like the sloppy sausage leg. So <laughs> awesome. Um, I'll get one for Christmas, and I got one for Christmas. So, <laughs> oh man, that's a what a story. Well, hopefully yeah. you're healing. Hopefully you're healing well, and you'll be on the bike soon. Is there any kind of timeline or? Yeah, I've got a. Not like I'm counting dates or anything, but uh, fifth of March, I'm allowed. <laughs> I'm allowed back on the bike. Um, so I've just been on the static bike. Uh, on Zwift, which is some online thing which I think is crazy, and I'm on my like nine speed mountain bike. Um, mm-hmm. we've sort of really rough gears that it's like an older mountain bike and it's rough as guts. And you see these people go past you on this bloody app, and you know they're on road bikes because <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to put out like 200 watts 
for five seconds in like a nine-speed setup, and they've got 21 gears, and they're demoralising as they just blast past you. And I'm just like, oi, number one, my leg's rubbish. Number two, I've got nine gears, and most of them are crap. Um, but, you know, it's the only form of training I've been able to have. So as demoralising as it is to have all these people just blast past you on a computer game that are real people in other parts of the world, some with the GBP flag, you know, it's disappointing, but uh, it's some form of excitement for me. Oh, classic, classic. Well, let's touch a wee bit on your photography then, Jasper. So when did you start that? Did you go to school and stuff and do photography? Yeah, so uh, I went um, to uni and I did a, like a, a Bachelor of Contemporary Art, which uh, in a roundabout way was, I guess it's kind of like fine art. I didn't intend to start or doing photography, but I found um, a form of photography which I loved um, and became obsessed with, which was called light painting. And um, yeah, you, there's, that's a whole other topic in itself, but that's what got me really addicted to photography and what you could do without the means for um, post-production or computer manipulation and being able to show people that you could create these images and then actually getting them to realise that and then they gained the sort of new acceptance of that type of photography and I, I loved it and proving people wrong that what you could create and I became really obsessed with just proving people wrong and showing them what you could do and so I, I love that. And that's what got me really obsessed. And then naturally, as you're interested in photography, I, I just progressed with that degree for, I think it was three or, three or four years, um, and then came out of it being really passionate about photography, still am, clearly, um, mm-hmm. and then sort of went into the standard avenues that you do to see if you can make a few dollars and see if it's, you know, a viable option. So I went into weddings and portraits and all that standard stuff uh, when you're trying to get out there. And I still feel like I'm still trying to get out there, even like eight, nine, however many years it is later, uh, a few years later. We'll round it off to Dan. Um, <laughs> and yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm just kind of got to that point where I, I just continued um, along those lines. Uh, I haven't had any other f- more formal or direct study. Um, I found a lot of the time with my photography-related study at university and video, I picked a few video units, but... 90% of the time our lecturer either didn't turn up or turned up way too late. So I turned to Google a lot, um, which is a terrible thing to say. I'm not saying that formal education doesn't help because it obviously does, just not for everyone. Um, and in this context, it, it didn't really seem to uh, bring as much as I was hoping for that degree. So in the years afterwards, I continue to just work part-time jobs and sort of grow um, my, my knowledge through online learning through finding resources and other photographers and just kind of watching and taking bits from different people as mm-hmm. everyone does, as everyone evolves with whatever they're doing in life. Um, and that's kind of, yeah, kind of got me to where I am today, you know, in a slightly condensed nutshell and a couple of ACLs later. <laughs> and so is the photography your full-time gig now? Is that what you do? Yeah. So it's, it's a pretty, um, it was a pretty big milestone actually for me really in the last two, three years, and a lot of it I can attribute. I feel to mountain biking, which is pretty pretty awesome to be able to say that. But, uh, yeah, sort of for the past 10 years, I've been working on my photography slowly since finishing my degree, and 
I'd always dreamed of it and wanted and aspired to be able to make a full-time commitment to my photography. Um, and uh, yeah, as of the last couple of years, really, um, uh, amongst balancing a lot of other commercial work and working at schools as a photographer and, and weddings and all that stuff I told you about, that it's actually come to fruition and I've reached like a life, a lifelong goal or a, a major life goal, I suppose mm-hmm. you'd say, of being able to sustain a full-time um, living from the variation of uh, photo media work that I do. So I'm absolutely stoked and really grateful that I'm able to continue to work with awesome people or awesome brands and, and be able to get people hyped on whatever it is that I'm working with. Like people trust me with that. And that's, that's a huge, huge thing for me. So I'm very, very honored and lucky and, and grateful to be able to, to do what I do full time. And when I say full time, it doesn't necessarily mean you got jobs every bloody day of the week. Uh, and I'm mm-hmm. and I've got you know bags full of cash next to my um three downhill bikes and and two <laughs> e-bikes. So I'm, you know I'm rubbish. Um, that's not what it's like at all. Um, still really sort of uh, you know working job to job and just trying to budget life out so that I can do what I want to do. Um, and really working to grow my business all the time. Um, with you know just working from one good job and if you don't deliver then you probably won't get work again so I, I really am really passionate and invested in making sure that everyone's more than happy with the work that I do because I'm pretty self-critical and even times after I finish work I'm like oh what sort of a courgette of a project was that you know <laughs> really not really not happy about it um, but you know you know we're only human and that's just part of it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, certainly. And was it a scary decision to kind of take that step then to go full time into it or did it just happen naturally? Did you just progress naturally? No, it was definitely scary. As with anything you do, you know, like if you're going from some, you know, standard form of employment where you get a, you know, a normal paycheck and they pay your tax and your superannuation or whatever it's called in the UK, I'm not sure. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, you're in that position of, I guess, security. Um, And I feel like these days with the way everything moves so fast, the form of security is less and lessened. Um, but I don't feel like anything is a given anymore. And I really feel like you have to go a little bit hard, depending on what you do. I mean, there's industries, you know, like the health industry, never going to be a shortage with people needing help. Um, the food industry, never going to be a shortage of people needing to eat. Um, there's, there's a lot of industries where, you know, they're not going to disappear, obviously. But, um, for me, I, I wasn't in a, you know, huge form of employment. I was working like a contract with a, a school over here doing a lot of commercial work um, and then started to progress and grow that and try and build my clients out of that school so that I would have um, people that want to con- continue working with me, um, mm-hmm. which I'm really grateful to have, uh, you know, some really awesome brands and companies that you want to keep working with me. And I think that's what it's about. It's about the long term and being able to consistently deliver that. Um, so, yeah, it was, re- it was really hard for me to give up on, I guess, working with this school number one also working in a job where i like previously to the even the school i took like steps and i was working at a like a stationery store i guess like staples i think you got staples over there mm-hmm. um and i was working in that sort of a store with technology and and i had to jump from that which was pretty average you know income and and insurance to jumping up to working 
with this contract with this school, which again was an unknown, like it was a, a 12 month thing and you only got a few hours and I didn't really know what I was doing. I still don't, I don't tell anybody. Um, <laughs> and then please don't put it online on a podcast or something for goodness sake. <laughs> and now the same thing, like I, I sort of had to jump to, um, yeah, kind of really going, okay, can I do this and like crunching numbers and, and looking seriously and trying to figure out if I can really commit to this. And it got to the point where I just was getting frustrated with dealing with certain people and other aspects of those contracts um, that I, I just got, I just got to the point where I kind of snapped a bit and I was like, I need to pursue this or no one else, no one is going to do this for me. Like I'm already at 80%. Why not just jump in the next 20% and mm-hmm. suck it up? I mean, you know, so that's, yeah, it was, it was really hard. And even now I'm just like, I don't know how it's going to pan out, but that's kind of part of it. I'm a pretty random sporadic guy. Um, and I'm, it seems to work for me. It doesn't work for everyone. A lot of people like to be organized and know exactly what they're doing all the time. And, and, and that is good. <laughs> and sometimes I miss that, but I also um, have to create my own form of structure, <laughs> which is old. <laughs> but um yeah so in short i should have just said yes it was scary (laughs) (laughs) it sounds it um it sounds it now do you feel with platforms such as instagram and things like that that photography and filmography is do you feel especially in the mountain bike industry and these lifestyle sports do you feel that's the new way content is absorbed rather than somebody reading an actual write up about something uh Yes and no. I mean, even just this morning, I was reading an article off Pink Bike about Gwyn and his new intense team. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, despite me being from Tasmania, I can read. I know that's what you were thinking. <laughs> um, but, yeah, a lot of people, you know, especially with kids and stuff, I mean, I'm a big kid and I'm a very obviously visual orientated person. So, and I, I pretty much treat myself as a trial version. You know, I'm as addicted to, you know, visuals just as a moth is to a flame on it's it feeds it feeds my receptors and we're all we're all wired the same way and everything's been broken as you know with social media everything's been diluted and broken down to further and further fractions of our attention Mm. and so even that it becomes on how do we how do we you know most efficiently and quickly absorb that so we can move on to the next thing or absorb more information and learn and grow quicker. That's just evolution. So with that and the way we absorb information, it's, you know, three seconds or whatever it is, three to five seconds to get someone's attention, in, you know, in a video. And, mm. I, and I, I'm a testament. I'll watch a video. I watch a lot of stuff as much as I create stuff so I can figure out what I'm doing and if it's on the right direction or if it's wrong or whatever. But, you know, within three to five seconds, if I'm watching a video, and I'm bored without even thinking about that aspect. If I'm just like, mm, I just turn it off. Yeah. I'm just not interested. And and then I'm like, wow, that took me three seconds. These statistics are bang on. And so you know, it really is. It really is the way forward. Of um, it's not going to be long before I feel like 95% of the internet is going to be video or motion graphics. Um, because that's just we need things to grab us. I mean, even I don't think it'd be long before they animate our bloody inboxes. Because yeah. I tell you what, you go there and you're like, where's all the video? This is pretty boring. <laughs> 
email from John. He could have chucked in a cat video or something because I'm about to fall asleep and I've got 400 emails to check. So <laughs> I definitely, definitely feel like that's going to be um, the, the way it's going to continue to grow. And that, for me, brings about a form of security that I don't have in the way of um, financial security but in the way that just like you, <laughs> people need to eat, as long as we don't go back into the dark ages – there's going to be people that want to want content and it just is more and more renewed every freaking day. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's being able to absorb it quickly through devices is just a, another crucial part of it. Um, but in saying that I, I do try to create content that is a little bit different because I'm a bit, of, I'm a bit weird. Not going to lie, not going to try and sugarcoat that. Um, and I, I do like making stuff that, you know, kind of makes you ask questions <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah well some of your projects are cool and um I, I really do like your style now i initially got your contact details from tom redfern from broken riders who was on the podcast um and i think because i was chatting about his podcast a, a few days ago i think it was episode number 38 so that's quite a while ago but um yeah. how did you get in contact with tom then yeah so um, i guess when i was uh, starting out a bit earlier with the pursuing sort of shooting mountain biking uh, work, which was based based on photo as opposed to video. I just reached out because I thought his brand was funny because it was called obviously called Broken Riders. And um, I myself am just constantly, there's always something wrong with me. I might not share <laughs> it openly, but there's always something wrong. Um, so I just, I just thought it was funny, you know, Broken Riders and, and uh, his mantra of, um, of rewarding of rewarding the broken um mm-hmm. people out there which is a lot of us so i feel like the market was pretty big um mm-hmm. but i also just yeah I, I just thought it was interesting and, and just wanted to reach out to him and just to see if he wanted to um just work together to essentially just promote his product because i just yeah i just like working with brands and people that i agree with i mean obviously if someone comes to me um and they're called like flamingo bicycles and, uh, you know, their color palette's not something I'm stoked on. Um, and they offer me a, a big wad of cash. I might, I might consider working with them. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I do like working with brands if I can. And I reach out sometimes and just say, hey, you know, would you be keen to collaborate and work together and, um, you know, promote promote your content? And, and, you know, I can pretty much safely say that almost 100% of the time, let's go 99%, um, it, it's worked and helped help get a bit more brand awareness out there and, and I can offer something a little bit different by working down here in Tasmania um, with the scene that's, as I've said, starting to mm-hmm. get pretty hectic. Um, so, yeah, I was just reaching out and saying good day. And, um, yeah, he seems like a good dude to work work with and, and create these products. So I thought, um, yeah, let's make some crazy visuals. And my dog got involved at one stage. So, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> she's, she's broken. We take her to the vet nearly every second day. She's, <laughs> she's always putting her nose in something she shouldn't. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so how did that work? Did Tom send you some product then, and you just went out and got riders to wear it? And and pretty, is that how it went much. about? Yeah. Yep. So he just sent me some gear, and um, and yeah, just sort of started from there, really, because that's that's how I like to work. Is just see if we like working with each other, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and if we do, it's good. That's like basically try and get it so it's you know essentially can be zero to no cost involved. 
um, and just build up from there because I feel like creating trust with clients and, and future future brands is really important. Um, so we just basically, you know, it feels kind of like a trial phase. Um, yeah. And, yeah, just been doing bits and pieces for him since, which has been really cool. Um, yeah, just she's obviously showing it off down in Tassie. The, the hardest thing I struggle with, to be perfectly honest, especially when I started shooting photo, um, was actually getting friends, especially my mate who dragged me along to start with, was actually getting friends to be keen on having their photo taken on bikes. And mm. I can totally understand because, as I say, I'm, I'm – can be a bit of an asparagus shape, um, which isn't great for, um, yeah, you know, motion on the bike. <laughs> but I got to a point um, where, yeah, I just was hard to get friends who were keen to do it or other riders. And I didn't know many riders at the time as well when I started because I just wasn't into the scene. Um, and so I'd kind of just – a lot of the time I'd actually go out and, um, and take selfies uh, – <laughs> um, with with the gear um, because I just couldn't get anyone to commit to it or, or felt they felt too self conscious. So mm-hmm. um, a lot of the a lot of the stuff I I do and have done with broken riders are self portraits because um, it's just hard to nail people down. At the end of the day, I need to shoot content. <laughs> I need to turn it around. And so if I'm the only one um, that can do it, then sometimes it has to be it. So sometimes I try and crop the photos just under the chin. Um, so it removes any viewer distraction or, um, you know, stops them from, from vomiting. Um, and that way <laughs> it can just focus on the brand as opposed to the rider. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's interesting. Like, cause I seen one of your videos, uh, with YT. So you worked with those guys. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Did, um, worked with one of their athletes who came down, um, for the EWS last year, I think it was last year, maybe the year before. Um, and, um, yeah, sort of just did a, did a small project with, with him, which was, which was pretty cool. And it was a learning experience because, well, it's always learning, but it was like a first bigger project for me, which was really cool. Just an opportunity. Um, you know, it didn't provide a lot of financial support, um, but it was an opportunity and, you know, I, I take every chance to shoot as an opportunity to better. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so that was pretty cool. Um, getting to work with. Just some characters, really. Mm. So, how did that come about? Did they reach out to you, or? Yeah, yeah. So they wow. reached out, and um, yeah, it just sort of, um, it just kind of went from there, really. Just sort of kept talking over Instagram. A lot, a lot of the stuff is through, um, yeah. I just having, a, I guess, having a presence on Instagram. Mm. As much as I feel like I'm still this, well, not the same shooter skill wise, but the same invested, passionate shooter I was when I had like. 200 followers as i am to now when i've got a bit more than 200 like i feel like i'm that same passionate shooter but i wasn't getting as much work mm-hmm. um and definitely now getting a lot more work um but yeah, well, um, you, well you have twenty thousand odd followers or something now, i think yeah it always fluctuates but um yeah it's i mean at the end of the day they it's great to have those people supporting me but the reality is like I don't especially don't want like kids and, and everyone else to fixate as much as they're going to. I don't mm-hmm. want them to fixate on that side of things because it's fickle. You know, it's a it's a digital platform, and it you know the the Instagram version of an athlete or a professional you might meet 
you know, on Instagram, they might seem wicked as they do. And then you meet them and they're completely not the person or the persona you were hoping for. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to see through that a lot of the time. And, and for me, as I say, it's great to have those, that support on Instagram. Um, but I'm, I'm still the invested person that I was when I had one follower. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it definitely it's good to have have that um that that influence um and to be able to get get a bit more of that word out there about how stoked I am to just be in Tasmania. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's it's one of those things when somebody looks at your Instagram profile and they see you've twenty thousand followers, they must think, well, oh well, he's he's good. Whereas, like yeah. you say, you were probably every bit as good when you had one follower. But people don't yeah. look at it like that anymore, do they? they no, you know it's, and that's. It, that's that's the sad thing about it because I know I've seen profiles, mate, with like goodness knows forty thousand followers, and I look at their content and I'm like, how did this happen? Um, my my internal algorithm says no, um, but yet their account says forty thousand plus. So I mean, I, I know you can buy followers and likes and mm-hmm. all that rubbish, but some of them genuinely have um yeah those followers some of them might be personalities i think a lot of it's uh yeah a lot of it i just don't it doesn't compute how it got to that point which is why then i i bring back that point of don't judge people on their bloody following like i i would i think it'd be so cool if for one month instagram just blocked what you were able to view on other people's accounts of how many followers they had and to see and traffic and graph the engagement and the activity that you actually get or how it drops and spikes because then it removes that assumption of popularity, of of awesomeness, of, yeah. you know, running Instagram, and it changes your perception. And that's just how we are, though. Like, we're wired to judge on, on that uh, and a big part of that. It's just, you know, when you meet someone, if you meet someone and they're wearing a few paper bags, uh, you just like, and you're like, hey, this is Bill Gates. Um, he, you know, he created a few computers and stuff. Um, and you're just like, he smells like off potatoes. There's something, <laughs> I don't, there's something wrong with him, Jeremy. And you know, and he's just like, no, no, he's cool, he's cool. And he's like, hi, I'm Bill. And he's like, oh, I don't know about this guy. Whereas if he rocks up and he's wearing a suit. You know, made out of platinum computed printer graphics, or you know, whatever. You're going to judge him slightly differently, and it's exactly the same perception. I know it's a slightly weird analogy, but I told you I was weird. I gave you full disclosure, and I, I just feel like that's a similar scenario. You know, and people do that. They jump on a Facebook or Instagram, and and um, but at the same time, that's where the attention is when you have that influence. And that that traffic. That's why pink bikes are the biggest bloody site in the world. Yeah, they have and they've built up over time. Um, and I understand that. I'm not stupid, um, but I still, I still like, I still value content over, you know, over that power, over that following. So if I go to someone, they got forty thousand followers, and they're another shooter or something like that. I'm going to judge on their work output and ethic as opposed to their followers. I'm not going to feel that peer pressure of like, oh, I'm just going to jump on the follow bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in saying that, I follow Pink Bike. <laughs> <laughs> but well, you, the- I love to see stuff that sometimes I miss out on. And they're, and that's yeah. it. They're, they're a, a, a network. They are a bottleneck of information. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I can, yeah that's yeah. it. 
for ages, but that's how <laughs> well, I feel about it. But it's a, it's an essential tool for me. It is a it's a and that's not to you know look past. It's an essential tool. And if they were to suddenly change and make you pay, I'd be like far out. Where do I go from here? I mean, I probably would, but I'd probably pay for it. But um, I hope they're not listening. <laughs> no, that's kind of that's kind of how I feel about it. It is re- it was a really crucial tool, and it helps me get my content out there uh, in a different platform and straight into people's pockets. I mean, I've got a, I think I've got a really you know nice website where all my content sits. And saying that it needs an update, don't link it in just yet. Um, but that's for me, that's a platform where I have I feel more value for people to look at. But I would get way less visitors to that site. Um, and so it's just they're just little tools, aren't they? You know, Facebook, mm-hmm. Instagram, websites. Um, yeah, so it's yeah. I can as much as I moan and complain about it, it's like a love hate thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it is for most people, to be honest. You know. Yeah, it's the devil in your pocket. Mm. No, the Medina Bike Park. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, yeah, that's it. So you you done a video there at Flow Mountain Bike. Who are they? Or are they a magazine? Or I've never heard who of them they? before. You yeah. don't know who they are? Well, no. let me tell you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, uh, in all seriousness, Flow Mountain Bike, um, they're, I would say, the biggest mountain bike um, news industry uh, in Australia. So they're essentially they, – they cover – so many different areas that I can't even keep up uh, when it comes to not just mountain biking, but like road cycling, cycle grass, just anything bike related, mountain biking, mm-hmm. or sorry, you know, without an engine. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess um, I, I got contacted by them to do some work um, shooting because obviously they cover a lot of stuff um, all over Australia and, and they travel all over for bike launches, like all over the world. For, for various projects and and um and you know working with brands and so forth but they are a huge huge company um and they've worked and built up for years some of their earlier stuff was done promoting sort of new zealand and rotorua and and all sorts of different mountain bike tours over there and again they're just a group of just super passionate guys um and i'm i'm stoked um and honored to be able to continually work for them and i have done for mm. the past sort of couple of years since i started video um and yeah one of those projects was the australia day launch of Medina bike park which was one of my which was one of my earlier bigger projects um and that was so sick um to be able to just just to work with them because i've looked up to them for ages even though i haven't been like a real avid rider and more noticeably you know the past few years but being able to work with with guys as passionate and as fun as them and as they're pretty much as weird as me, which is great because <laughs> weird is good. Weird is different. Weird mm. is original. And um, no, nah, but it's good because I, I think um, I've got to the point now where um, yeah, we're just uh, we work to well together as a team, and um, I'm pretty stoked, I guess, to be able to call them friends as well, which is which is mm-hmm. sick because I've, so I've always looked up to them. So to be able to work with them and for them on various projects, um, I always look forward to it. So, yeah, the Medina Bike Park, that was another one. It, it didn't end as well as most projects should have. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> there was an ambulance involved. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're still working together now. So, so yeah, things are good. Things go wrong when you ride bikes. 
<laughs> so well yeah, exactly. So how does that whole setup work? Do they just say, Jasper, we want you to do this, and you have free reign, and you just go there and shoot and say, right, um, you ride from point A um, to point B, and what way does it work? Oh, uh, look, every project is completely different. I mean, I worked, I you know, I work with anywhere, you know, we're going away from Mountbike for a quick second. Anywhere, one day I'll be working with three-year-olds at a school. Um, and they'll be watching Chickens Hatch and we'll be t- talking about engagement and learning and the evolution process of which came first, the chicken or the egg. That'll be one day. And the next day I'll be in the middle of the bush somewhere with a couple of raggedy-looking dudes on a bike that are somehow full, full-fledged professionals um, and we're shooting crazy gnar and backflips and shroupin and I've got all the terms down. <laughs> Look out, pink like. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, you know, I can work with all these different areas and, and every project that I do, including campaigns and projects with mountain biking is completely different. So it can just start with, you know, look, this is what we're thinking of doing. Um, uh, is it something you'd be interested in doing for a start? And, um, and then we just kind of, we try and evolve the project from there. And sometimes a lot of it, in all honesty, is um, is impromptu, um, which thankfully I'm good with um, because I know a lot of people uh, in different areas, like, for instance, a studio portrait photographer, they might, you know, it's, it's set up, it's time, it's planning. A lot of it is set up, time and planning with what I do, but sometimes you just have to run with it. Mm. And and there is a, a lot of the stuff, especially when it comes to mountain biking and weather and conditions and gear and all that sort of stuff that you just have to roll with. So, um, you know, it's a lot of it's, it's, uh, it's yeah, you say, oh, yeah, I'm going to get you to ride through here. I use radios a lot just to make it easier because i got a terrible yelling voice. This is me yelling. Uh, uh, <laughs> hey, no, I'm going to hear that. <laughs> What's the point? So we've got a couple of radios, and it just makes things a little bit easier. Um, and, uh, yes, yeah, so yeah, as I say, every project is completely different and, Sometimes it'll be uh, a bit more involved, uh, and other times I can sit back, or I might be like a second shooter. Like um, it was probably about, oh, it must have been like the end of end of last year, I think it was maybe, um, where I was uh, contacted by Kona Bikes to shoot um, to shoot a project as a, as a second shooter with Kona Furon, and so the Kona crew came down to Medina Bike Park um and yeah i got to be a second video guy working with like some guys that i i know about and a really really cool like great great guys and very very um skilled with their crafts obviously connor knows how to ride a bike slightly better than me and then you've got um like uh Giannis, Giannis Fanari and he's a an exceptional filmmaker and photographer from Helsinki in Finland Oh, he's a, he's a character. He's so funny. <laughs> and then you've got um, Caleb Smith photo, who's from from New Zealand. And you know the 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 team getting to work with them. He was shooting stills. Yeah, Jonas was lead video uh, and editor, and I got to shoot second camera. And I just learned so much in four or five days. I spent with them at Medina Bike Park shooting basically one bike. And um, mm. the the edit that came out of that was unreal. Um, whenever I saw a shot that was used, that was one of mine. <laughs> oh, boy, did I get excited. Um, <laughs> but honestly, just being able to work with people like that and learn from them uh, and, and just be around them uh, is, is super humbling. And I, I, love, I love doing that. 
you know, just working with people that are better than me, which is pretty much every day. You're always working with cool people. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know if I really answered your question, but I did, I did something there. <laughs> no, it's cool because, you you know, you wonder – there's so much stuff goes into one of them videos and you know, you see a three minute video and that thing could take days to film. Oh dude, that, that, and that's what it was, you know, that, that, uh, new process kind of process. Um, that was the better part of three to four days. Um, but that's the thing. If, if you want to, if you want to do something well, you have to give it the time. A lot of the time I don't, for the projects that I do. Um, so to be able to have that luxury of having more time to shoot and, and really cherry pick those areas of trial that, you know, that rider can hit well or show off the environment or be able to get a variety of both aerial ground, you know, chest camera, being able to have that time to facilitate that for, as I said, four, you know, four days, better part of four days. And you've got a two minute edit. But mind you, that edit is unreal, you know. Mm-hmm. That, that edit makes you, you look at those pros, like you look at all these videos that come up on Pinkbike, and when you watch them ride, if you don't feel stoked and want to exactly. ride your bike, there's something wrong with you and their marketing isn't good. But if you feel stoked and there's a little bit of a tingle or it makes you laugh or it, it brings some form of emotion, even if you're disgusted at how intensely they're destroying the trail because you're a nature enthusiast there's a reaction and that's what they're going for you know Mm -hmm. um and so i think that's yeah it's really important um but as i say a lot of the stuff i you know some projects you know for like uh, i've shot in a day and produced in a day and they're still good i'm really proud of what i can do in a day but being able to have four days to shoot one bike to make a two-minute edit so you can make the sixth edit no wonder the edits are so good. People just don't realize that. I just, I just, oh, can you imagine how boring a documentary would be of the time involved? So there's your four days of shooting the one minute edit. <laughs> and then on top of that, after the, the four days, you may as well say, oh, I don't know, with other workloads, three months to make the edit, depending on what it is. And then you're going to have, depending on like what I do, sometimes with projects and schools and clients, I'll have a back and forth with that client for, I don't know, it could be a few months or it could be a week, it could be three weeks, and you keep revising it until they're satisfied with just the small changes. Um, some people are just happy with whatever you create. Um, but, yeah, so there's a there's a, so much work behind the scenes and computer time, which is people – and some people think that just because I shoot with these sort of bigger-name writers and, and I do all this – writing projects they think that i'm like a mad writer <laughs> uh fun fun fact i'm not um because i spend a lot of the time just watching the videos and you can only watch and edit so many videos for it to rub off on you and have an effect but in saying that i live vicariously through the videos that i'm creating so you know i get stoked on trying to make stuff that makes other people stoked because then they get all pumped up and then they want to go for a ride and that's kind of how it perpetuates. That's how it all it all just keeps going. Um, yeah. Doing lots of hand gestures here. Probably can't hear that in the podcast, but <laughs> I'm waving around. I look like a Blackhawk helicopter at the moment. Pretty pumped. 
Yeah, well, whatever you're doing is working because they're, they're good videos, man. And I wanted to speak to you about, now this is something slightly off topic, but you've done a video called Unmasking America. Yeah. Now that was very different to your other mountain biking stuff and all that's on there. Um, tell us a wee bit about that project. Yeah, so this is very different. So, I mean, amongst my uh, vast photography background, um, I started out not only with my light painting, but um, I guess it's known as urban exploration or urban decay or whatever you want to call it. Um, I became really obsessed and uh, fixated when I saw images, for example, back in 20, I would have been like 2010 or 20, 20, 2009, 29. What is wrong with me? Anyway, <laughs> it was a while ago. I saw these images of Detroit and how, I don't know, like it was almost like a third world country of a different kind existed where all these structures and buildings and industry sat dormant for years. And I wanted, I couldn't believe it, the, the state of these places in what was really like, and I felt like a developed part of the world, you know, America, this shiny exterior that we see all the time. That's what I, that's what I imagined. So seeing these pictures, I was just blown away and became pretty obsessed. And, um, and eventually in 2013, I self-funded a trip to go to Detroit specifically, which is, you know, known for its, at the time, higher crime rates, um, Mm -hmm. drugs and gang issues and all the rest of it. Um, and so I, I just wanted to see it for myself because I just didn't believe it. I saw all these images um, from these other photographers and I just, yeah, I just really had to go. I was obsessed. So I finally got there. Couldn't believe it. Um, it was really crazy and I, I did put myself at risk a lot, but I was 300% alert. So I was really taking the time and making sure that any of the, any of the places that I visited were either so blown out that I could walk in and, um, you know, document the places and, and be safe. I had a, a mask on a lot of the time. Um, because of, there's always crap floating around the air, but you can walk down the street and 20 people are blowing cigarettes in your face. I don't feel like there's mm. much of a difference. Um, and so just keep keeping that mask on and, um, yeah, going and visiting these places, checking them out, um, documenting them, never setting anything up, never breaking in, like never damaging anything. My idea was to get in and get out as quickly as possible and document those spaces. Um, and, again, it was more for an artistic practice because obviously my, my degree was fine arts, um, and so it was – Trying to, trying to show a reality that people weren't aware of beneath the surface. And then that led me to a trip um, in 2016, which was basically crowdfunded because I tried for government grants and I kept missing out by like, I don't know, their score to get the grant was something like 87% and I got like an 85% mark. Mm-hmm. So I missed these grants. Oh, that's another kettle of negative fish. But anyway, uh, I decided because I had, you know, a, a lot of support and, and I, I've had lots of um, um, solo exhibitions with the work that I do um, uh, artistically in that practice over the years, especially with my light painting. So I decided to put it for crowdfunding and I ended up getting like 42 people that wanted to support, which you would have seen that, um, I guess, the trailer video for the funding um, for Unmasking America to basically get me over there and do a what was proposed was a 21-day trip across the, I guess, neglected um, uh, what I would call economic fallout mm-hmm. zones of the, I guess it's the eastern parts of the U.S., um, which ran me through all sorts of different areas like New York State and Chicago and 
and, and and again, like I'm not your traditional type of guy. I'm I'm not too worried about seeing like you know the Statue of Liberty and um I don't know I don't even know some of the places like the <laughs> Times Square. Like yeah, it'd be cool. But I'm really intrigued at the I guess that history and that um that past tense and the why. I am always one of those guys that just question stuff. Doesn't like to follow trends as I've stated before. Um, and so for me, I, I, I had to, I had to see these places. And so everyone was stoked to get behind me and, and I ended up getting, yeah, 42 or something supporters, which got me enough funds to, <laughs> I forgot about conversion rates. So that really, um, put a corkscrew in my plans, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I still, so I still put a lot of dollars into it out of my own pocket, but that's important. You have to invest in yourself. And so I managed to do what was essentially, yeah, like a 21 day, Nuclear, nuclear fall, nuclear fallout. Um, this video again, clearly economic fallout zones of America, um, and managed to travel by myself with the help of friends that I met on my first trip back in Detroit. I met them in an abandoned building, and that helped me a lot and guide me um, to some other locations and in uh, uh, psychiatric institutions, schools, tuberculosis hospitals, um, theaters. Wow gave me a lot of a lot of areas that I could focus on and, and dig into the history a bit. And I talked to locals in some areas and talked to talk to the police because they'd be asking what I was doing. And I was like, I'm Australian. I don't know what I'm doing. Shrimp on the Barbie. And they're like, ha, 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 you're funny. And I'm like, ha, ha, sorry, I didn't know I was supposed to not be there. And they're like, ha, well, that's all right. Just don't go back there. 20 minutes later, I'm flying a drone. Hey, weren't you that guy 20 minutes ago that we told to leave? No. I don't really talk. That was that other bloke. Yeah, same accent, I know. Probably the same clothes. He's been following me for like a thousand kilometers. Ha, <laughs> ha. Okay, I'm going now. Bye. Thank you. That's the kind of stuff that I was dealing with. But... Um, you know, I, I like to do different stuff. And for me, it was really important to show this kind of um, external veneer that America presents wasn't and isn't as, as true as, as it is. And, I, and I, I don't see a lot of the stuff I don't see at surface value. Again, that comes back to like Instagram. I don't see it as surface value. Mm-hmm. I look beneath it. Uh, and that's kind of, I guess, what that whole project and, and preface, preface was about and, and coming back with a body of work to present um, in an exhibition that people could see what had happened. And so I've had a couple of mini solo shows, but for the most part that's a private body of work and was commissioned by those people and they were able to get basically images and works that weren't even created at the time, you know, and they, that's how they were supporting the project. They weren't just throwing money at me. Mm-hmm. There was like, a, you know, just kickstarter campaign but for a pleb artist like myself um and it was a huge learning experience and they were really stoked the supporters with how it went down and uh, obviously that, that that whole thing was unmarking america and showing what is what is beneath it there's a whole lot more to it i'm not going to go on because you're probably going to blow your ram and your computer or something with all this waffle um <laughs> and a few waffle lines to stop these ones out but um, but yeah. So that that's kind of I don't know. That might help or might confuse you even more and make you go, "How did that lead you to a bike?" <laughs> yeah, well, I, I just think it's very cool because it's so different from the mountain bike and stuff, and the filament process and all must be so different. And it's really cool to see that you can do both really well. So yeah. it's really cool, you know. And it's, I think that's good to show people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it's um, look, I just. The main reason I do the artistic practice, like the buildings and um, the light painting, is it's like just it's a very personal thing 
for me. I'm really passionate about it, even if people don't understand it. I just love creating it. It's the process. You get this awesome, you know, image at the end sometimes, but I just am obsessed with creating it. It's just that whole getting there, setting up the preparation, like even with my light gear, I'll spend days recharging all my homemade lightsabers that I've sold to myself to create the brushes and strokes that you'll see in my images and then actually getting there, setting up, using a self-timer because what yeah, I'm, I'm in a lot of those pictures as well. But it's, again, that whole artistic practice and is very personal to me. Mm. So I tried to, you know, make a few dollars from it and I still do. I still sell private commission prints um, with a lot of the artwork I've created and and I, and I love doing that. But I, I knew that it couldn't be a, a long-term – it's very hard to make it, obviously, as a full-time artist. But just my um, – I'm just stoked just to be able to create – so for, for a lot of that stuff, um, yeah, I, I don't worry too much about the dollars, but I guess you're right. It is important to show people the diversity, but um, I, I found that sometimes hard. And when you have an audience like now and people know know me for mountain biking, it's very hard for them to then, sh- especially when they come to you for mountain biking. If I, for instance, went and threw up a picture of a, a decayed psychiatric institution on my um on my Instagram account, <laughs> I'd probably lose three hundred followers, <laughs> and uh, I might get ten likes. And um, it's all because people are expectant, or they mm-hmm. expect that of you. But I obviously still do that, and and you know, it's still my website, and it's still something that I'm capable of. Um, but yeah, people, some, and it's funny cause some people come to me and they know me from, from that decay work and then they see my mountain biking work and they're like, whoop, like, you know, when you don't think one person can, can yeah. cook and is also a mad mountain biker or one person can paint, but they're also a mathematician. Like it's just that perception that you can only really be, you know, good at one thing so it's funny when i have people that even come to me from knowing me just from my photography and i haven't seen them for a few years and they'll come up to me and they're like oh hey jasper how are you going with your photography stuff <laughs> and it's such a i feel like it's such a condescending thing when people say that you know like if they come up to you gareth and they're just like hey gareth how are you going with your the things and the when people talk how are you going with the talking things <laughs> and you go yeah, you know, you want to punch them in the throat, but you swallow it and you go, yeah, now it's going good. Um, talk to a few people. They talk back. Uh, it's good. You know, it's good. We, we talk. It's great. Mm-hmm. And then you just swallow it and you move on. And and I get that a lot um, with, with people saying, because this is a perception of if people don't believe in you or they don't have confidence in themselves, they just feel like you're playing you're playing around with something and it's mm-hmm. um yeah i'm sure you've experienced that sort of yeah. thing in different aspects so it's 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 always nice when you can turn around and go you know someone once asked me are you like are you still working at that school or are you still working at office works which was like staples and i can turn around and go no i'm not actually and oh what are you doing oh, i work for myself and full time and people are like what and when I say it, I'm a bit like, what? Because that sounds really weird because I'm not <laughs> used to that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've, I've worked for myself. And they're just like, oh, okay. So, um, and people are confused <laughs> because it's just, you know, it's not as common and I can understand it and, and, and it's hard because, I, you know, just because I know a surgeon does brain surgery, I don't know 
how he connects the wires in the brain. Does he have to solder things? <laughs> I, I don't know how it works, and I, and I understand that. And sometimes I feel like even my own family, they don't really know what I do and don't fully understand it, even though I'm not a brain surgeon. It's not really that hard to understand. They don't understand how I'm how it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it comes back to, you know, oh, how are you going with that? And my partner, she runs her own business. We run a business together as well. And it's involving uh, predominantly plants and rare plants. But when people ask her, they say, oh, how's she going with the plants? How, how are you doing with this? Yeah. Such a frustrating, condescending tone. And it, you just feel like, if I could swear, I would, but I don't swear because I'm a, I'm a good man. I only swear off recordings. Um, <laughs> but it's just, it's just that thing, you know. It just, it just, you just want to give them a oh, stab them with a with a blunt spoon. Yeah. That's what you want to, just a quick, well, quick jab and uh, and walk away. But anyway, that's uh, yeah. It, you know, it's quite funny because Tim Ferriss. I don't know if you've heard of Tim Ferriss, but he's a big blogger and he, he wrote a book called The Four Hour Work Week and stuff like that. And he's a big podcaster, yep. but. He gets so fed up of being asked at parties and stuff, um, you know, what do you do? And instead of having to explain what a podcast was, he just thought, you know what? I'm just going to tell people I'm a drug dealer. (laughs) 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 So when people, you know, with money and influence and everything else is to him, so Tim, what do you do? He would just say, I'm a drug dealer. And he says it totally backfired on him because then everybody was like, really? So what do you sell? Where do you sell to? And he says it just totally backfired and he had to actually speak a lot more than he wanted to. <laughs> that's so funny. Oh, that's great. Oh, what a champ. That's good. I don't know why I haven't thought of that. Well, there you go. You can try that the next time you're at school. <laughs> oh, that's bloody good. Next time a 15-year-old kid on the trail says, so what, what do you do? I'm a drug dealer. His mum will be in the car park and I'll see her on the way back through and she'll give me a a pretty stern look, and I'll just go, just give me a call if you need anything. Yeah, right that's off it. The That'll work well. That's it. Well, listen to me. I've taken up too much of your time, sir. I certainly have. But tell me, have you anything cool planned for the near future as far as your photography and filmography goes? Um, look, I wouldn't say I've got anything cool planned, but, I mean, I, I just want to keep pretty much keep doing what I'm doing, to be perfectly honest. I, I feel like I'm finally at a point, like you've literally caught me at a point <laughs> in my um in career where I, I'm really just doing what I want to do and I just want to keep doing that and promoting positive attitudes and positive vibes and um yeah just just doing the same cool stuff getting people pumped so I don't have anything super duper planned um but that's kind of the fun of it because I I really don't know what's coming and mm. <laughs> and that scares me but it re- also really excites me <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's cool. What's what's on your bucket list to shoot? If you could do anything, what would you bucket want to do? List. Mate, I'd need a dumpster list. It's huge. <laughs> um, oh, look, oh, there's so many things. And now that I'm in the mountain biking world, it's just like the stuff that I see from, you know, stages of the EWS, you know, to places like Reunion Island. Like I used to think about think, shooting things that – was specifically, you know, abandoned or places I could light paint, which are different areas. And now I see things and, and landscapes. And now I see things like with a rider involved, or how mm. could I shoot that with a video? Because videos, I feel, can be very different to photo. So, mate, I've got my bucket list is huge. But I mean, I've been to Canada recently for a project, which was 
bloody awesome and so so cool to be to be a part of that was huge and to be able to get over there and and see that that's i guess that was like a bucket list but up until recently i wouldn't have considered canada or whistler Mm. as a place i would have been more intimidated to go to to be perfectly honest um but yeah mate i've it's so hard to condense i just want to go everywhere i want to see everything um Yeah, it's, it's I couldn't I couldn't even narrow it down. There's probably more parts of Canada I'd really love to see bike related, but there's also parts of the world that I just want to just check out. I'll be uh, hopefully going to Vietnam soon, not bike related, but I've I've kind of always wanted to to check out um that, that mm-hmm. part of the world. So yeah, mate. Sorry, that's not really it's not very exciting. Sorry, listeners. Uh, it's not much of a bucket list, <laughs> but a boring, not really sure list. But you know, take from what you will, see as much as you can. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, how can people best uh, get in contact with you, Jasper, and find out about what you're up to? Yeah, for sure. Um, obviously, as I've said, my love-hate relationship with Instagram is still a great way to contact me. As much as I moan about it, I check my inbox on there pretty much every 10 minutes. So <laughs> Instagram's a great one, um, which is at uh, Seymour Photo Media. Um, and then obviously my website, which is jdcmorphotography.com.au or jdcmorphotomedia.com.au. I kind of got the two. I don't know why because I'm cool. a little bit weird. I've already said that. But, yeah, that's probably it, I reckon. Facebook. Right, nice on cool. Well, I'll, I'll throw all that stuff in the show notes so people can get quick access to you and stuff. But um, just chatting to you here um, before I let you go and your accent and stuff, have you heard of a band called 12 Foot Ninja? haven't heard of a band called 12 foot ninja but i feel like i should have because they sound that sounds like an awesome band to know yeah they're from australia dude you need to check them out i think they'd be right up your street 12 foot ninja jeez it sounds like if i were to name another dog that i'd call my dog 12 foot ninja (laughs) (laughs) check them out check them out well here thanks so much for coming on but i really appreciate it and you you seem to be really passionate and love what you're doing there so keep up the good work will you yeah, no, likewise, Gareth. Stoked, uh, stoked to have a chat with you. Sorry that you're going to have to deal with a whole lot of waffle excrement there, but yeah, thanks for having me. Eh? It's all good, but I don't, I don't add anything, so it's all going on. Oh, it's all good. Oh, oh, oh dear, oh dear, you didn't disclaim that. Oh no, oh this is so bad. Oh no, I'm not on Instagram anymore. You can't find me. I don't exist. <laughs> all right, yeah. but here, have have a good day. Enjoy yourself. You too. Cheers, mate. See you later. folks i hope you enjoyed that that's a wrap for episode number 73 and jasper thanks so much for coming on the show i really do appreciate it and i had a blast chatting to you dude and i really hope to get the opportunity to have a chat with you in the near future maybe even go for a ride at some time in tasmania there that would be insane hopefully your your injury heals up well man and you get back on the bike very very soon Now, folks, if you want to know a wee bit more about Jasper, what he's up to, what he's doing, about his photography company, etc., etc., just go to the show notes. You'll find them at mtb-tribe.com and you can uh, just click on Jasper's episode there and you will get all the links to what Jasper is up to and quick and easy for you there to find out what's going on. You'll also be able to read a wee bit more about the interview and what we got up to you can also subscribe to the podcast. Just go to mtb-tribe.com and go to the subscription section and you can subscribe. You'll get one email a week, uh, just a synopsis of who's coming on the show, a wee chat about that and a quick link to 
to listen to the episode. You can also follow us on socials. We are on Instagram and Facebook at MTB Tribe. And um, you can get in contact via there as well. There's also a contact page on the website if you want to send me an email. I do read all of them and I will get back to you. So, folks, thanks for being here. I really appreciate you listening. And um, if there's anything you want to hear on the show, if there's any guests you want to hear from or any topics you want covered, just drop me an email, drop me a line on socials, and I will do my best for you to get that sorted. So thanks so much again. I hope you have a great weekend. I hope you get out in the trails. Stay safe and enjoy your time with friends. See you next week for another episode of MTB Tribe Podcast.